Um, it's a great lead up to Christmas and, and we're almost there, a couple of days out. And, um, and I've loved our series just in the lead up to Christmas and on Christmas Day, a signal of hope. And I love there's a passage of scripture that says even the name of Jesus, even his name will signal hope for many. And that's my hope this Christmas time. And so if you're here today and you're feeling like you need some hope in your spirit, my hope is that you'd leave today with that kind of hope in your spirit. Um, but there's lots of people in our community, in our nation that, that need hope. And it's found in Jesus. And so, um, Andrew, I'm glad you can speak today. Let me pray for you and then um, I'll hand over to you. Lord, I thank you for your word, that your word is living. It comes alive. And I pray for that this morning through Andrew. I thank you for the way that um, he has engaged with you and prepared this message. And I pray, God, there'd be a real sense that your spirit is speaking through him. I pray that you'd make these words come alive for us personally as a church. And Lord, I pray, Lord, that we would hear everything that you'd want to say to us today. So we commit that to you. We thank you for Andrew. Thank you for this word straight from you, God. And we want to receive it and follow through on that for us personally and as a church in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, mate. Thanks, Kev. If you were, um, if you were with us last week, uh, Keith shared with us about the person of Joseph, the earthly father of Jesus which was really good because there's not a lot mentioned about him in the Bible, but there's, there was enough in there for us to get this picture of a guy of integrity and a guy of um, good character who just led Jesus as he grew up. And so this morning we're going to look at uh, Mary, look at the life of Mary as we head into Christmas Day when obviously we'll look at Jesus. Um, but before we do that, uh, I just thought... When we look into what is written about Mary, there's a sense of celebration. And so it got me thinking about what are some of the things that we celebrate? And I was, I was trying to come up with just pictures and situations. And, and just recently, I know there's been a whole bunch of um, year 12 students who've just graduated uh, high school. And so there's a celebration when you do that sort of thing. Um, when you finish one season of life and maybe move into the next, there's celebration. Um, I had a thought of uh, Usain Bolt when he broke numerous world records and this celebration that happens worldwide because somebody has done something that no one else in the history of the world has ever done. And that's worth celebrating. Just last weekend, I had the pleasure of... Um, conducting a wedding for Caleb and Eleanor, a young couple in our church. And, and that day, the best word to describe that day was, was just a celebration. Uh, it was a celebration of two people who loved one another. It was a celebration of family. It was a celebration of, of life. It was a celebration of God and his blessings. Um, I'm not a historian, and I didn't even listen in history at school. Didn't even choose it when I had the choice to do it. I chose chemistry over history simply because I didn't like history. Um, but I do remember hearing about the celebration that went on at the end of World War II. And some of the images, and this is one of the photos I remember seeing in school. And there was literally singing and dancing and partying in the streets in some areas of the world. When, when the war was declared to be over. 
And so there's this picture in that space of you've had this hope. You've had this hope that the current circumstance will change, that there's got to be an end to what I'm currently experiencing. And there's a hope for something new and there's a hope for something fresh and there's a hope that it, it has to be different to this. And then that realisation takes place and the obvious response is celebration. And, and, and literally singing and dancing in the streets. And that's an essence of what we're going to see today when we look at the person of Mary. This, this celebration, this spontaneous song that bursts, bursts forth in response to a hope that looks like it's about to be realised. And it's a pretty exciting thing. So Mary, a young Jewish woman, most biblical scholars would estimate she was probably around 15 when she became pregnant with the, with the Saviour. Around 15. At that time, she was already engaged to be married, and Keith unpacked that last week for us. If you haven't heard that message, can I encourage you to get on our website, listen to Keith's message from last week. And so she would have known, as a good young Jewish girl, she would have known all the prophecies about the Messiah, and that the prophets themselves had been silent for about four centuries. And they had, the Jewish people had the scriptures, and they had. The, the Psalms and they had the prophecies and they had the prophets, the minor and the major prophets and, and she would have known about what they were looking forward to as a people. She shared this dream not only with her family but with her tribe, with her nation. That one day the Messiah, the Saviour, the Anointed One would come and he would change the way things are. So she knew about this. It was a dream. It was a hope. It was a promise waiting to be fulfilled. And then an angel appears to her. Could you imagine that setting? Could you imagine being that teenage girl? And this is the story. This is your history. This is your, your people's story. And then an angel appears to you. Now, before we get to the scripture where we, where we unpack that, I reckon one of the biggest problems with the virgin birth, because that's an argument many people would, would, would present to say, hang on, th this is all a fairy tale. That cannot happen. I think one of the biggest problems with the virgin birth is that we think life's all about us. We put ourselves at the centre of the story. But it's actually not about us, it's about God. And it's God's story. And God invites us into his story. It's his world, it's his creation. He can do whatever he wants to do in his creation. If he wants to, through some miraculous event, impregnate a teenage girl in Palestine 2,000 years ago, he can do that. It's his prerogative. We are not at the centre of the story. When we place ourselves there, we find something like this really hard to deal with. And so here's this girl living her life and God invites her in a unique way into his story. God initiates what happens. God invites Mary into that. 
And this is a story that actually unfolds throughout humanity. So let's have a look at where we see this. This is in Luke chapter 1, and we're going to look at quite a few verses here. So in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, Elizabeth was a cousin to Mary, an older lady, um, and she had a desire to become pregnant and just was barren. But God did something there, and in the sixth months, and if you know that story, she gave birth to the guy we call John the Baptizer. So in the six months of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth in a town of Galilee to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, who was a descendant of David. All these things are lining up here about the promises of the Messiah. And the virgin's name was Mary. And the angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favoured. The Lord is with you. And as you would expect, Mary was greatly troubled at these words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. What is going on here? Now, we don't know what Gabriel looked like when he presented himself to Mary, but there was an understanding that this is an unusual circumstance from her perspective. What is going on here? And as most occasions in the Bible, when we see an angel engage with someone, their first words are, do not be afraid. I think that would make sense. Do not be afraid, he says, Mary, you have found favour with God and you will conceive and give birth to a son and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. All of that language is messianic language. All of it is about, this is talking about the Messiah, the, the one you've been waiting for. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I'm a virgin? And the angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So even as a teenage girl, she had enough understanding. Now back then, I would assume the people living 2,000 years ago did not have an understanding of X chromosomes and Y chromosomes and, and DNA and all that sort of thing, but they understood what had to happen to become pregnant. And her response is, but I'm a virgin. How can this be the case? And so she continu the story continues on. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. And I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. What a great response. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the story continues. In a loud voice, Elizabeth exclaimed when Mary tells her this news, blessed is, he, is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. So when, when Mary found this out, she went and travelled to be with Elizabeth. And, and I've cut a bit of the story out of here. You can look it up in, in Luke's Gospel. And there's this sense here where Mary 
confronted with this bizarre situation with clear links to the story and the hope in which she and her whole people have been waiting for, her response is, and I love this, I just want to put it in bold, her response is this, I am the Lord's servant, may your word to me be fulfilled. Now Keith touched on this last week, to respond like that knowing that she was in a situation where she's engaged to Joseph and she was now or would soon be pregnant and you can't hide that and so the public scorn and shame and embarrassment and suspicion, all that stuff was going to come her way And her response is, I am the Lord's servant. May your words to me be fulfilled. What an amazing response. God chose Mary for, I think arguably could be, the most important job in history. To actually grow, develop, birth and raise the Messiah, the Saviour. Imagine being called to that role. And her response was beautiful. She was actually the, probably the most unlikely choice. Just a plain girl from a backward town, nothing special about her. And God initiated And God invited. And we see the story unfold. So the next part of the passage that we get to, when we um, continue in Luke chapter 1, is basically her response, which is a song. It's often called the Magnificat. And it's called that because when it was translated into Latin, the first word of this song is Magnificat. And it's a song that, as, as many people have sung it, uh, I think Bach has even done a whole musical piece to it. What do you call those things? What is it? A score. Done a score. Yeah. It's something that's been fairly popular throughout history. And, th- and this is Mary's response. This is, it says, what she sings as a response. My soul glorifies the Lord... And my spirit rejoices in God, my Saviour. For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped the servant Israel, his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. Interesting song to sing in response to this. But there's some parts of this that that are really key. 
The first few lines she presents in this song, in this response, are actually about personal praise. I'll just go back to that. There's some stuff here about personal praise to God and the reason for her praise. God's faithfulness. God's desire to initiate the humble and do something with those that are humble. She then talks about, as she continues on or as she sings this, that there's God's larger purpose throughout human history that's going on here at this moment. And she understands this. She understands this through her knowledge of Scripture and her knowledge of who God is and her knowledge of what God's promised. And then she actually turns it to being, this is also the fulfilment of God's promise to Israel. This is where life has been heading and she's able to express all of this as we see in some of these lines. Nearly every line from this song, from this response, is a direct quote from the Old Testament, usually out of the Psalms. Here is a young Jewish girl who knew her story, but knew that her story was completely wrapped up in God's story and was aware enough at this point to go, there's something significant happening here that God's inviting me into his story in a really special way. Imagine being in that, in that place. Her song, just like the people singing in the streets when the war ended, her song was actually a song of celebration of God. God is faithful. God is a promise keeper. God is the one who initiates and moves towards us. God is the one who invites us into his story. It really is a beautiful picture. As this story continues, and we know this story pretty well through some of the carols we sing, through the, the, the stories we hear as children and we keep hearing around Christmas time, through our nativity scenes. The story continues in Luke chapter 2. And I want to pick it up here. So in verse 16, it says, So they, that's the shepherds who had had a visit from the angels, the shepherds hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger, just like they had been told. And when they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told to them about this child, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had seen and heard, which were just as they had been told. As this story continues, the child's father and mother, Mary and Joseph, marvelled at what was said about him by this guy Simeon in the temple. And then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. And then he says to Mary, and a sword will pierce your own soul too. So it isn't just all celebration. There's something very early on for Mary that says the fact that she's been called into this role, there is going to be some 
pain associated with this. Some significant pain and trauma for her. But God's with her. And as this story continues, every year Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the festival of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up to the festival according to their custom. And after the festival was over, while his parents were returning home back to Nazareth, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. But they were unaware of it, thinking he was in their company somewhere, because there would have been a large group of people from Nazareth journeying to Jerusalem. Thinking he was in their company, they travelled on for a day. Then they began looking for him among their relatives and friends. Let's picture this. Here's Mary, aware that she has given birth to the Messiah, the Saviour, and now she's lost him. (laughs) Just imagine the stress that you're feeling at this point. There was a chuckle. I think there's experience around the room when you lose a child, whether it's in a shopping centre, whether it's at the beach, whatever it might be, when your child is out of view and you're not sure where they are or if they're okay, that sense, let's magnify that a thousand times, this is the Messiah. And so the story continues. When they did not find him, they went back to Jerusalem to look for him. And after three days, they found him in the temple courts, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. His mother said to him, son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. Twelve-year-old boy. Why have you treated us like this? Why were you searching for me, he asked. Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? But they did not understand what he was saying to them. Then he went down to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. I like that. But his mother treasured all these things in her heart, and Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favour with God and man. Imagine Mary. You know when just that situation, you might have lost a child in a busy supermarket and you are frantic and all you want to do is make sure they're safe, and when you finally get them and they're safe, our reaction often is, I'm going to get cranky at you now (laughs) because of what you've done to me the way you made me feel through your actions. I reckon that's what's going on here. And she was astonished and indignant when he he said, didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? A gentle rebuke, I think, from a young Jesus, pointing towards "This this is where I'm going, this is what this is all about. I reckon at this point, the the vision Mary may have had of Jesus from being a child to being the Messiah and being the one who, who was going to do something mighty in that, in that space, I reckon maybe it was around this point that, that that light was coming on for her. That his divine nature and his divine purpose was starting to be revealed.
See, when we look at this story, when they had seen him, the shepherds, they spread the word concerning what had been told about this child. And all who heard were amazed. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. And then later in this story we just read, when he went down to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them and his mother treasured all these things in her heart. The mother's heart, the mother's love. This, this is the teenage girl who is growing and this is the, the, now the mother of, of Jesus, the Saviour. And there's stuff going on around her and with him where she's just grabbing every moment, every conversation, everything that's been said and she's just treasuring them because she realises the gift she's been given and what she's been invited into. Now we don't hear much more about Mary after this. She's mentioned at a wedding in early in John's Gospel. And I love this because I reckon this, she's got to the point where, come on, you're now about 30 years old, you've got to do something, and the wine runs out. And her response is, hey, the wine's run out, you should do something. And his response is, uh, it's not my time yet. And she just ignores that, as a good mother does, and goes to the guys and says, hey, whatever he tells you to do, you do it. I love that. It's nearly like this impatience, like I've, I've raised you and now you're a man. When's this going to happen? Now that's just my reading of it. <laughs> we see Mary present at the crucifixion of Jesus. I reckon that's, that's what we referred to earlier about her soul being pierced. And I just love the symmetry there. As a boy, she lost him for three days. As a man, she lost him for three days. Mary was present. We read in early on in the book of Acts when all the disciples were gathered together after Jesus had risen from the dead. Mary was part of that group of disciples that, that were around when Pentecost happened. And so we don't read much more about her. But what we do read, and what I want to finish with this morning, is that there's something I reckon in, her, in Mary's story that speaks really loudly to each of us. See, after Mary engaged with the angel Gabriel, she was enabled and empowered to do what God called her to do through his power and through the Holy Spirit. Like when we look at this passage that we read earlier on, when she said, how, how can this even happen? I'm a virgin. And the angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. And the power of the Most High, that is God, the power of God will overshadow you. See, Mary's story, I think, is, is a template of our own. And here's the pattern, and this is what I want to finish with. God initiates. When God takes the initiative with us, it's always through love. It's his love for us that he initiates contact, relationship. It's not merit. It's not because we're extra special or extra smart or extra clever or extra holy or extra sin-free. We get no evidence of that with Mary. There was nothing special about her. And can I say this morning, there's nothing special about you. 
There's nothing special about me. God initiates relationship with us because he loves us. That's who he is. We're the objects, the focus of his love. So God initiates and then God invites. God invites us to do our own personal individual life in the best way possible. And because he created us, he knows the best way for us to live. And that is in relationship with him and in relationship with one another. That's how we were designed, to be in communion with him and with one another. And he invites us. We go back a couple of weeks to the the Revelation series, the church in Laodicea, where Jesus is standing and knocking on the door. Can I come in and, and live with you? Can I come in and eat with you? Can I come in and just be with you? And he invites us into that sort of relationship. And then the third point, I think, is God imparts his Holy Spirit. God initiates, God invites, and God imparts. And Mary's a great example of God's grace at work in a human being's life. God's grace, meaning God's action. When God brings action into someone's life, we are wrapped up into his story. What is his story? His story is about redeeming and reconciling all of creation back to himself. That's what he's about. And he invites us into that. And he does that through God's power at work around us, the indwelling Holy Spirit within us. That's the kind of life we're invited into. Mary's life, I think, is a testament to things being done which would have been unthinkable or even impossible in any other way if God did not get involved. And I can honestly stand here and say that's been part of my story. If God didn't initiate relationship with me, if God didn't invite me into that, if God didn't empower me through his indwelling Holy Spirit, there's no way I'd be standing here doing this this morning. There's probably no way you'd be sitting in here this morning. Why would you? If you had not been invited into and accepted the relationship that God's offering us. Now Mary's a unique example of that, but I think it's a really, really good picture of how God wants to be at work in our lives. Thankfully, I don't have to give birth to the Saviour. <laughs> but there is something unique that he's calling me to do. And there's something unique that he's inviting you into. And we can learn from Mary and say, whenever we sense that God is initiating and inviting, wouldn't it be awesome if our response to that is, I am your servant. May it be with me as you, as you desire. I think it's a great picture. Let me pray for us. So Father God, as we just look at this story that is in some ways really familiar, but in other ways just has a depth that we may have missed time and time again, I just thank you that you are a God who sees us, who knows us, who loves us. You are a God who desires to initiate relationship with us. You invite us into a kind of life that you know is the best way for us to live. 
And I just pray we would have the courage to not be a people who thinks we have got it all figured out and we're at the centre of the story, but we can be a people who says, God, actually everything is about you. Everything comes from you. And we want to trust you that what you invite us into is actually the best thing for us. So God, we want to look to you. We want our eyes to be focused on you. I pray you'll even give us a vision to see our own lives the way you see our lives. And give us the inspiration to live into what you already have planned for us. You know what's best for us, God. May we grow in our trust and our faith and our obedience to everything you are inviting us into. And as we celebrate Christmas and as we celebrate Mary and her story, I just pray we can take that as, a, as an example of the way you want to interact with us. You know what's best for us. You know just what to do. And God, so we want to surrender that and say, would you have your way in us? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.